Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Amen. Well, since the title of my message tonight is A Bride for Isaac, I thought I would share a couple of stories about marriage. Okay, these are a bit humorous. There was an old couple sitting by a fireside. He looked over at his wife and had a romantic thought, and he said, Ah, baby, after 50 years, I found you tried and true. His wife's hearing wasn't very good, so she said, What? He looked at her with that romantic smile. He said, ah, after 50 years, I found you to be tried and true. His wife then looks at him and says, well, after 50 years, I'm tired of you too. (laughs) As the story goes, a husband was reading the newspaper. And one day he told his wife, This article says that women speak 30,000 words per day, while men only speaks 15,000 words. To which the wife replied, the reason has to be because a woman has to say everything twice. The husband looked up from reading his newspaper and asked, what? Is that true? Well, he says, no. Well, this evening, guys, we are headed to a rather lengthy chapter. It has 67 verses, but the good news is it's more narrative, okay? So that means we'll read most of it and make a few comments and applications along the way. Well, in our text tonight, it's time for a bride for Isaac. Now, not just any bride. This, this has to be done the way Father Abraham wants it to be done. He says specifically, no foreign women in the land of Canaan. He needs to get a bride from the land of his people without taking Isaac back to the land. That's what needs to be done tonight. Now, where we left off last week was Abraham was mourning the death of his wife. It was really a sad story. Abraham was 137. We know that Sarah was 127. And we can conclude, based upon those numbers, they were married for a very, very, very long time. They were married. Now, now listen to me. Marriage, guys, honestly, is not without its challenges. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> marriage is not without its obstacles. And marriage is not without its attacks. Listen to me. You see, when it comes to battles in this world, there are three different attacks from three different places. You guys know who they are. The first attack we get is from the devil. The devil will always attack us, okay? He will attack you. He will attack your walk. He will attack your commitment. He will attack, listen to me, your integrity, and he will attack your mind. We know that the devil does that, guys. 
We know that the world is also plays a part. So you have the devil, then we have the world. The world will attack you. The world says, let's go back to Egypt. Egypt being a type of the world. He says, no, 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 don't do this Christianity stuff. Come back. Come back to the world. Come back and have fun. You remember when you had fun? You remember when you were the life of the party? You remember when you did all of this stuff? Come back. And the world will always attack you to come back and bring you back. And of course, the last one that we have to deal with is the flesh. The flesh. And the flesh, let's be honest, is a constant battle. As a matter of fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians keeps telling us, guys, that, that he says, because you're, you haven't grown up, you're still babes in Christ. You're still flesh. You're still carnal. And we're always battling the flesh. And how many of you know your spirit is willing to praise the Lord? Your spirit is willing to do whatever it takes. Your spirit wants to draw closer to Jesus. And your flesh says, no, 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 not today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I want to do. And we're battled all day. So you got the world, you got the devil, and you got the flesh. But let me say this to you. Listen to me. It's the very same thing for our marriages. It's the very same thing. Guys, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to marriage, there will be attacks from the devil. He will attack your marriage. He will attack the thing that you hold sacred. He will attack your commitment. He will attack attack your integrity, and he will attack your mind. When it comes to marriages, guys, it'll be the world. You go, how so? I want you to think about this, okay? Think about a godly marriage. Think about what a godly marriage looks like. And then think about the marriage you see on Pinterest or the marriage you see on social media where they they just show everything so perfect. And you go, oh, I just wish that I had that. And you're like, no, that's that's not right. Think about, and and the world does that. And, of course, our flesh, our flesh. And as I was praying over the message, guys, and I was thinking about a bride and I was thinking about marriage, guys, here's what I thought. Listen, throughout the years that Abraham was married, listen, we need to protect our marriages. We need to protect our marriages. We need to do whatever it takes to do that. Why? Because here's what happens. Listen to me. Because Abraham was 137 and Sarah was 127. Here's what I want to say to you. Even in the latter years... Even when you go, man, we've been married 50 years, we've been married 20 years, we've been married 30 years. Even in those years, listen to me, when you feel so comfortable, we have to protect our marriage. Man, I feel yeah, I know my wife, we've been married a long time, she loves me, I love her. And that's when the enemy comes in. We got to protect our marriages, guys. And I'll tell you why, because the enemy is going after them. The enemy sits in the corner and laughs and says, look, I, I want to destroy this because his job is to rob, kill, and destroy, and that's what he does. So we have to do our best to go, no, no, no. I need to, I need to protect my mind in my marriage. I need to be able to communicate with my spouse. And that's what I, I just think about. I just think about, sir. I mean, think about this, guys. L- let me just say this to you. In any area of your marriage... Make sure you're making an effort today like you once did when you were dating. We have to make that effort, guys. We have to make that effort. For some reason, we think, and I've heard this, now it's none of y'all, but I've heard this. When people get married, they go, why do I have to date? I'm married. Right? A date should be implied. We're married. Look at the ring, right? That's not how it should be at all. That's not how it should be at all. We should still pursue our wives. 
we should still go after them with that same fervency we once did when they weren't ours. Right? Think about what you used to do. Think about the silly things you used to do when you were dating. When, that was, when she wasn't your wife. Oh, baby, we could talk on the phone all night long. Oh, wow. No, you hang up first. No, you. No, you hang up first. And maybe you didn't do that. That's silly. But you did do silly stuff, didn't you? You did crazy stuff. Right? You guys are singing, and I would walk 500 miles just to be with her. You drive up. What did you do? I drove five hours just to see her. And now, wow, we're married. Hey, baby, what's for, what's for dinner? How you doing? How's it going? You go, Pastor, what's the point? Here's the point, guys. I think, I think we need to make every effort like we once did. Like, for example, I've been married well over 30 years. And every Friday night, I take my wife on a date. You go, well, that's no biggie, Ben. That's, that's good. You're the pastor. No, no, no. Here's the thing. My date is not implied. I have to ask her every Friday night if she wants to go on a date. But you've been married a long time. I know. I have to ask her. Sweetie, do you want to go on a date? I would love to go on a date. You're going to make me ask again next week? Mm-hmm. 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 Why? Because I had no problem asking her before we were married. You got to keep the spark. You got to keep the romance. Well, tonight, our plan is to go through the text. Now, let's jump in, guys, because we've got to go through 67 verses. We're going to make some comments. So give me an amen if you're Genesis 24, verse 1. Here we go. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So two things right off the bat do we see in verse 1. What's that? Abraham is old, well advanced in age. What does that mean? He was almost dead. That's what it means. When the Bible says he is well advanced in age, it's like, man, he's old. He is old. It means he's almost dead, and that's okay. That's okay. Uh, What I put here in my notes is the difficult years have, have come. They've hit the difficult years. He's old. Right? And we guesstimate that he's anywhere between 137 and 140. Okay? That's kind of where he is. And, um, you know, that's, that's what's going on. And so Isaac's about 40 years old when he marries Rebecca. So, so the Bible says that Abraham is old. That's the first thing. We get that. Okay? But let me say this to you. Okay? Jot this down. Age doesn't matter when you live a full life for Christ. Age doesn't matter. Paul puts it this way, and I think we should take it to heart. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. That's what we should take. That should be our model. That should be our life verse. For me to live is for Jesus every single day. That's where life is full. That's where it doesn't matter if you're 50 or 60 or 70 or 137. You go, man, I just live for Jesus every day. And you go, well, yeah, but you're well advanced in age. You go, what does that mean? You're almost dead. You go, well, that's okay, because for me to die is... Gain, yeah, that's that, I'm looking forward to that. But here's the thing, guys, let's just be honest. Do we really want to go to heaven just, just so miserable here on earth? You know, do we really go to heaven? Oh, man, what do you do? I have to go work today. And you go up and you're just like, oh. Or do we want to go to heaven, man, whatever it might be, whatever age it might be, we just want to go because we just, we're just living for Jesus and everything we do. You see, the enemy wants to do this. Listen to me clearly. He wants to rob you of your joy. 
He wants to take that happiness and that joy, the fulfillment you have in Jesus, and he's where he'll rob you. You'll open your Bible first thing in the morning. You'll have a great quiet time. Boom, you get to work, and he'll try to rob you all of that. Everything is crashing down. You go, oh, and your whole day's ruined. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm talking about? He wants to rob you, but don't let him. Because that trumpet could sound any minute right now, and we want to be ready to go. For me to live is Christ. Yes. To die, let's go. Let's go. Why? Because I'm like Abraham. I'm just passing through. I'm just sojourning. This is all I am. So Abraham got it, man. He understood this. He understood this. And then the Bible says, listen, the second thing we see is the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. What did he bless him with? Think about this. He blesses him with long life. He lived to be 140. He blessed him with riches, honor, children, and these are all things that are desirable by men. These are all things. We all want a long life. We all want riches. Man, if my bank account was just enough. And, and we all want honor. And we want a family around us. God blessed him. You go, well, what's the secret? Abraham trusted Jesus. He trusted God in every area of his life. Now, we know he blew it. We know he made some mistakes. We know that, that he fumbled the ball from time to time. Hello, welcome to real life, right? We do that too. But he still was a man who followed Jesus. And I think, I think that's what we do. If we want to live a full life, oh yeah, your bank account may never get up above what you want it to be, but you lived a full life. Because you say, man, I ate today. I ate really good today. That was good. I had, I had, guess what? Kevin, I ate yesterday too. Go figure. Man, that's rich. That's rich. Think about this, guys. Right now, every one of us is in this room, and I'm presuming, you can go to your fridge, open it, and just see how God has blessed you. Right? There's a lot of places that they can't do that. And they're stoked. And they're going, God's going to provide. Really? God's going to provide. Watch this. Watch this. And then God comes in in some supernatural way. And you and I, we go, oh. And here's the sad part. You know, I don't know why this popped in my mind, but here's the sad part because I think we do it. Don't we go to our fridge full of food and go, there's nothing to eat. (laughs) Right? And the Lord's like, really? I don't know. There's nothing. There's always something to eat. The Lord blessed Abraham. Look at verse 2. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of the house, who ruled over all that he had, please put your right hand under my thigh. Okay. So we got to chat about this. Okay. The first thing I want you to jot down is realize is the servant is not named. Okay. The servant is not named. Why? Because he is a type of the Holy Spirit. He's a type of the Holy Spirit moving forward. The main ministry, guys, of the Holy Spirit is not to bring attention to himself, but to point us to Jesus. You'll never see the Holy Spirit glorify himself. He always points to Jesus. So we see right off the bat here, guys, is that, is that the servant, he says, this is the servant. He's the oldest servant, okay? And so the Holy Spirit, guys, never, ever draws attention to himself. If you look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, this is why we must be careful when we have churches and pastors and people going and uh, and putting a full emphasis on the Holy Spirit 
without considering Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. That's his ministry. And you're going to see it throughout the text. Okay? Now, he talks about a servant. Now, if we do some research, most believe, guys, that this was Eleazar of Damascus. Okay? Eleazar. Remember, he said, Lord, how am I going to, how am I going to, how am I going to be the father of many nations when I don't have any kids? My inheritance is going to go to Eleazar of Damascus. That's his oldest servant. And so a lot of people go, oh, that's him. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. I'm just giving you that, right? Now, this was obviously before Isaac was born, definitely before Ishmael was born. He was going to be the heir of Abraham's estate. But now that Isaac is here, he is the oldest and wisest servant. And so he calls him over and he says this, put your hand under my thigh. Now, what does this mean? Well, this was a contract, let me just say this, of intimate proportions, okay? It wasn't just sticking your hand. It was a solemn pledge mentioning the Lord's name and formalizing an acceptable customary gesture indicated by how serious the undertaking was in both parties' eyes. You go, well, Ben, what does it mean? In the original Hebrew, putting your hand under my thigh was actually to grasp the growing. You're like, that's just weird. Here's why. It was so serious that he says, come over here, put your hand under my thigh and grasp the growing area. Because he says, if you do not fulfill your end of the contract, may you never have children and be a happy family. It's like, wow. You see, it wasn't like this day and age where we go, well, we'll have babies or we won't. I don't know. It was, it was a staple in the Middle East of, of, of blessing to have many children. And so Abraham says, come over here. You, you, you understand this. Now, back in the day, back in the day, several years ago, you guys know this, a handshake was good enough and it sealed the deal. Not anymore. Not any door. My dad used to tell me he bought his first house, the house I grew up in, he bought it with a handshake and $5 down. That's how important. There you go. Yes, sir, are you going to buy this? Yes, sir, Mr. Martinez, here's 5 He gave him $5 to hold the lot, the, the house. I'm like, <laughs> but nowadays, what do we have? We have a stack of papers to say, if you don't pay, this is what's going to happen. If you don't pay, I mean, it's just, and so that was the time, guys. It was, that, it was that, listen, you understand. You understand. So he calls the servant over, okay? And he says, verse 3, I will make you swear by the Lord, God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife from, for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country, to the family, and, to the wi- and get a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said, now, now he's in a dialogue, look at this. Perhaps the woman would not be willing to follow me to do this land, to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said, beware that you do not take my son back there. Okay, so he said, listen, servant, you're going to go, swear. And she's, he's like, but what if, what if she doesn't want to come back? Should I come back and get Isaac and, and take him back? He's like, no, why? Guys, if you're taking note, remember the promise. Remember the promise. God had promised. He says, the Lord God of heaven, verse 7, took me from my father's house, from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, 
to your descendants, I give this land. So don't take him out of the land, because what will happen is he'll stay there. He won't, he, he'll stay there, he'll find a wife, he'll marry, and that's not what God said. God said, we're going to, to your descendants, you're going to be here. You got that? He's like, yeah, okay, okay. And by the way, he says, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman's not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only, listen, do not bring my son back there. Do not take him there. Now, just a little comment here, guys. Don't you love the faith of Abraham? Why? Listen to this. Abraham is so sure that God will do this, he actually gives the servant a way out. Abraham's like, listen, the angel's going to go. He's already preparing. He's got you. He's got you. And he says, and, okay, listen, listen. If he doesn't, okay, if he doesn't, he says, that's okay. Then you're released from your oath. That's what he's talking about, right? Now, here's the thing. I just, I just love the faith of Abraham. I just love the faith of Abraham, right? Because Abraham's going, no, no, no. Listen, this is what God's going to do. I trust him. And here's the thing that God spoke to me, right? And I hope it's for you. Here's the thing. Listen, right now you might be going, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what. Listen, but God's already working it out. That's how much he loves us. That's how he's already sending his plan and his purpose. You might be here tonight going, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have a job. I don't have what's happening. And, and my life seems like it's in disarray. God's, but, but we got to have the faith of Abraham. So how do we have that faith? How do we trust the Lord tomorrow when you get up? Like tonight in, in Bible study, you're like, yeah, Jesus, let's go. And tomorrow you get up, you go, I don't know what Thursday holds. I'm like that. Man, I'm like that. How do I have the faith? Well, the Bible tells me this, guys. Listen, jot this down. We must always remember that according to Paul, as he writes to the Romans, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. If you want to grow in your faith, where should you start? In the word of God. If you want to grow in your faith, where should you end? In the word of God. Now, take a step back, okay? If you go, Ben, my faith isn't that strong. Tell me what you're putting in your eye gate. Tell me what you're putting in your ear gate. Tell me what you're watching. Because if you really want to grow in faith, then we got to be in Bible study. Oh, Pastor, what must I do? Should I listen to podcasts all day? Listen to the Holy Spirit as you study for yourself. That's the best way as God begins to speak. Listen, he loves you so much, he wants to speak to you individually. Well, you're saying don't listen. No, I'm not saying don't listen to podcasts. Listen to podcasts. But I'm saying don't make that the source. Get alone with God. Open the Bible and say, God, speak to me. I want to grow in my faith. And God will speak to you specifically what you're going through or what you need that day. God will speak to you. God will speak to you, but you got to do it. You got to do it. You've got to have your quiet time. You've got to have that devotion time. You got to have your date with God. Listen, if marriage, if we got to date our wives and, and we got we to protect our marriage, we got to do the same thing with God. 
I want to spend some time with the Lord. Spend some time with the Lord. Here's our problem, guys. We're so distracted in our lives. We're distracted with everything around us that, that I mean, we, we can't stand five minutes in a line without getting our phones out. And so when I say, hey, go spend time with Jesus, just you and your Bible. Tell your, fo- tell your family, my phone's off. If you need me, this is where I'm going to be. And spend time. Watch what will happen. I know what will happen. I did that once. You said once. One time I, I drove over to Florida because there was no internet out there and I couldn't get any reception. I got out there. Okay, God, speak to me. And in about five minutes, I was like, we're, we're, you, you understand? Because we're so used to doing stuff that we go, I need to settle my heart down and I need to take a moment to listen. That's how we're going to gain faith, guys. We're going to gain faith hearing the word of God. That's how Abraham did it. So what happens? Look at verse 9. So the servant put his hand under his thigh of Abraham, his master, and he swore to him. He said, yes, sir, that's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. Yes, sir. The contract is sealed. So now in verses 10 to 24, I love this because the servant is going to pray, and it's one of the most remarkable prayers. So when we go through this, guys, we're going to talk about, we're going to see the prayer, but I'm going to talk a little bit about it too, okay? Because we're going to talk about our prayer life. Verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed for all his master's goods were in his hands. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to circle that word for 10, okay? Because he took 10 camels with him. First and foremost, we know that Rebecca's going to come out and try. I mean, this is a lot of camels. They drink a lot of water. But he took 10 with him. You go, by why? Why 10? Here, you can jot this down. In the Middle East, right, this was a common gift in the Old Testament. 10. You give 10 of something, okay? For example, Jacob in Genesis 32 is going to give 10 bulls, okay? So that's a common gift. Joseph in Genesis 45 is going to give away 10 donkeys. Look at verse 23. It says, and he sent to his father these things. What were they? 10 donkeys loaded with good things from Egypt. 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So 10, guys, is it was a common gift. Do you remember Jesse, right, when he, when he sent... What did he send out to the battle with, with David? Well, 1 Samuel 17, 17 says, Then Jesse, the son, said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. So ten is a gift. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. So what does the servant do? He takes ten camels and he leads to Mesopotamia. In Hebrew, it's called Aram or Syria, so kind of keep that in mind. It's Aram of the two rivers. Here's what I want you to jot down. From where he is, the servant has to travel 450 miles to find a bride for Isaac. 450 miles. You go, wow. I mean, think about that, right? Think about that. It's, it's 300 from Lubbock to Santa Fe, okay? So add another 150 miles. So I don't know, what's, what's about 500 miles from here? San Antonio? So something like, I mean, it's a long way. It's not just like, hey, and, and, and he's got to walk. He's got 10 camels. 
He's going to go find a bride, but this isn't going to be like, hey, I'll be back tonight by five, have dinner ready. He's gone. This is a big endeavor. But here's what I thought, guys, and I want you to feel the weight of it. I want you to feel the weight of what God does, okay? Because if the servant is a type of the Holy Spirit, think about that. The Holy Spirit traveled all the way from heaven to dwell on earth to find the bride, to Christ, to find the bride for Christ. You see, it was Jesus who said, listen, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, then I can send the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit, guess what? We learned about this last night in our discipleship. The Holy Spirit traveled from heaven as God bankrupt heaven. And he sent the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? It's the Holy Spirit that leads us to Christ. You're here tonight as a believer because of God's Holy Spirit. You're here tonight because he traveled far and says, hey, you want to be part of the bride of Christ? And I thought, wow, isn't scripture so amazing? Right? Because the Old Testament is going to point to the New Testament, and the New Testament is going to reveal what we've just been studying. Right? Everything you're reading today goes, oh, wait a minute, that was fulfilled, but it was fulfilled in a spiritual way as the Holy Spirit left heaven and said, hey, I'm going to come dwell in self. And it is so cool because he goes, that, that, that one's mine. Oh, Mark, I'm going to dwell in Mark. Carol, yes. You guys see that? He traveled and he lives inside us. I thought, man, what a blessing. What a blessing that is. And so verse 11 says, and he made his camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when the women go out to draw water. You guys get the picture. There's a well. Okay, so he kneels the camels down, and it's so funny. If you've ever been to Israel, you get to ride a camel, and boy, that, that's funny how they kneel down. I almost slipped off one time. I mean, it's just so funny. Nathalie's still laughing to this day because I was on the camel, and we just went, because they kneel this way. But that's another story. But anyways, I mean, if you want to ride a camel, you can go with us to Israel in 2021, 20, just saying. But here's the thing, okay? So the camels kneel outside the wall. Where? Where? Help me, guys. By the well of water. You got that? And here's where the women come to draw the water. Now, here's an interesting fact. The women still do that today in the Middle East. In some of the smaller towns in the Arab, they still draw water. They still come out in the afternoon and and they draw water. Now, catch this. This is the first, guys, this is the first of three times, guys, when a man interacts with a woman at the well ending in marriage. This is three times. Or is it four? You go, Pastor, I'm not sure. Well, the first one we have is Jacob. Jacob, Genesis 29, 1 through 14. We don't have time to read that, but that's where Jacob, right, at the well. We another one, moving on, we see Moses. Do you guys remember Moses? Where did he end up? Right? He ended up at a well, right? And his wife came out, and you guys, the Malachites, and this is found in Exodus chapter 2, verse or 15 through 21. So now you have, who do you have? You have the servant looking for a bride for Isaac. You have Jacob. You have Moses. All these ended up in marriage, right? But you said, Ben, there was a fourth one. Well, my mind automatically went to John chapter 4, the woman at the well, right? The woman at the well, he's going, he had to pass through Samaria. There he is at the well. He says, hey, give me a drink. And she's like, really? Let's talk, right? But here's the thing I want you to see. 
my Bible students in here would go, Pastor, Jesus didn't marry the woman at the well. But did he? Because she got saved there through the power of the Holy Spirit, and she actually became the bride of Christ. And she ran back to the city and said, let me tell you, a man who told me all things I ever did, could he be the Christ? And I thought, wow, that just blew my mind. Because, guys, we can take stuff in Scripture that we feel like insignificant, like a well or water, and we could read it in the narrative. But when we start to see how that was a picture of what Jesus would do in the New Testament and a picture of us, I was like, wow. Well, then he said in verse 12, guys, oh, Lord, here's his prayer, guys. Oh, Lord, God of my master, Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master, Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of men in the cities are coming out to draw water. Now, let it be that the young men or the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, guys, got it? And I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that all, uh, by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So here's the prayer, guys. Here's the prayer. It's an incredible prayer. But the very thing we, very first thing we learn, and I need you to jot this down if you're a note taker, This prayer that the servant prays, you ready, is not a selfish prayer. It's not a selfish prayer. The servant has his master's best interest in mind. Notice what he says. Show kindness to my master, Abraham. That's real love. That's real love. Now, he says, this is how I'll know. If she comes out and and I say, give me a drink, and she says, okay, but that's not the key. That's not the test. The test is if she says, I'll, I'll give your camels water too. That's the test. Ooh, that's a fleece. Man, that's putting it out there. That's going, okay, God, here's what you want to do. Here's what you want to do, right? But let's go back to the prayer, guys. Let's, let's look at the prayer, okay? That's real love. And here's what I want you to see. Prayer is always God-centered. Prayer is always God-centered. And we, let's be honest in church, we must resist the temptation to pray always and only for ourselves and our own welfare. We have to resist that. I don't know about you. I can just give you my example. There are times when I'll sit there in my prayer and I begin to pray. And if I don't have it written down, my mind somehow reverts back to me. (laughs) Like, I wasn't praying about me. I was praying for, I pray for those in the body of Christ and I'm praying for y'all. And somehow it gets back to me, and I'm praying for me again. I'm like, oh, Lord, what is wrong with me? And we have to resist that. Just me? Or does that happen to y'all? And so we got to get back, guys. We got to. We gotta... Okay, so, so I said, Lord, how, how do we do this? I mean, we need, we, the, the people just need some, some tips. What, how, how, do we, how do we just, what, what do we do? How do we keep this away? From, from being self-centered. We know that prayer is God-centered and is for people. And I said, okay, so here's what I found. You ready? I'm going to give you five tips that I found to help us when we pray. Just five. There's probably more. Let me just give you these five. You ready? Number one, keep it simple. Keep prayer simple. 
Okay? You go, what do you mean? Guys, sometimes we think that we have to pray with such passionate and persuasive words so that God hears us, but in reality, he listens to our shortest SOS prayers. I mean, just keep it simple. Talk to him. God. God. We talked about this yesterday. We don't have to tell God all the time the very same thing that's in it. He knows the desires of our heart. We don't have to tell him. He knows. Right? Oh, God, please, can you do this? I know, Ben. I know you're struggling with that. I got you. I got you. But just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Isn't it funny how we'll get in prayer groups and, we'll, and, and, and we begin to pray for, a, for y'all to hear versus then God hears. Heavenly Father, Thou is the greatest, and Thou is omnipotent and omnipresent, O Lord. And, and we start using words that we would never use before, and we're praying so that other people can think we're amazing prayers, and we don't even direct it to God. And sometimes we just need to go, hey, God, it's me, and I need you today. Just keep it simple. That's the first tip. Amen? Number two, you go, what else, Ben? Read the Word of God. Read the word of God. Why? Because remember, prayer is not a monologue. Let me just tell you this, Lord. Let me just tell you this. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. I didn't know if you knew this. I didn't know if you had angels doing this. Let me tell you this. It's a dialogue. And God will speak to you in his word as you pray. So a lot of times, guys, open your Bible, sit there, pray, and then read the word, and then pray and read the word, and just have this, have this wonderful dialogue with God as he begins to speak to you as it begins to move in, 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 in your heart. And so read the word. Read the word. I can't tell you how many times the Psalms comfort me because sometimes I feel exactly like David. Oh, God, my enemies are all around me. They want to kill me. But blessed be your name. And, and you read those and you just, man. Man. Or, guys, or the Proverbs, man. The Proverbs, wisdom. The Proverbs are, are just incredible. Why? You want, to, you want to be wise? Read the Proverbs. You go, what else? Number three, make prayer active. You go, what do you mean by that? As we learn from the servant, guys, he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't like, he was sitting at the well waiting on God. He was active. And so I put here prayer, pray everywhere and anywhere. Okay? Pray in the car. Pray as you're driving. Okay, don't close your eyes, though, while you're driving, okay? Okay, Lord, I'm going to pray. Don't do that, just, but just pray. Pray in the car. Pray at home. When you go out for a run, pray. At the gym. Whatever it is, but be active. Sometimes we feel like, oh, I've got to have my little war room. And your war room is everywhere you go. Go out and pray. Pray because, guys, the Bible says for you and I to pray without ceasing. Look for opportunities. There are opportunities all over, like, okay, tomorrow you got to go to the doctor, okay? Here's what I would inquire. Take your Bible and pray. You know what I found? When you take your Bible and you pray, they get you in pretty fast. Because they don't want you, they don't want, want, right? You're like, okay, I'm just going to read, because I'm going to be here 20, 30 minutes. And the next thing they're calling, you're like, oh, I didn't even get a chapter one. But if you do have to wait, think about this. 
I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I don't know them, Lord, you do. I don't know what they're struggling with. Let me let you on a little secret. I've blown it that way. So many times I've been with my wife at an oncology appointment and I've seen people come in and do blood work and I'm just like, I've got, I've got to study. Got it. And instead of going, Lord, I, I should be praying. Oh, how we need to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So sensitive to go, hey, ask him if you can pray for them. Before. They're probably scared. They're probably a mess. And that's where God calls us. Pray active. You go, what else? Number four, make prayer an integral part of the day. You go, what does integral mean? Essential, intrinsic, like food or air. That's what it should be like, guys. Like, man, I can't live without praying. I can't live without praying. And, and we should get up and say, man, I can't live without talking to God. Think about it. Without food, we would die. And without air, we would die. But sometimes we can go weeks without praying. You go, what's the last one, Ben? Jot this down, guys. Pray expectedly. Prayer becomes a lifeless exercise when we're not looking for answers. Jesus invites us to, to expect God to work. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Pray expectantly. Pray, God, I, I expect you to move. I expect you to show up. I expect you to fall on us, Lord. Here's, here, here's, 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 here's a phrase that we sometimes misuse. You, you with me? If God wills. God wills we pray, and God wills that we, I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? I pray, expect, God, you're going to do an, a great, you're gonna do an incredible thing in my life. You're going to do an incredible thing in the life of this church. God, you're going to do, I mean, think about this. This is amazing, God, I expect. And here's what we should expect. You guys ready? We should expect that, that God would just bring revival. Now, we don't want to, we don't want to read about it anymore. We want to experience it. Don't you want to experience the Holy Spirit falling on us like in the book of Acts? Don't you want to experience the, the tongues of fire? Don't you want to see, man, I mean, I want to be in the place where the Holy Spirit moves He's so heavy that we can't get up and we're just praying and we're crying out to him. I don't want to read about it anymore. I want to see a real, I want to see God move and I want to pray expectantly, but we don't. We pray and we say, God, if you will, please, amen. And a lot of times we feel like he'll do it. We know he can do it. He has the power to do it, but he won't do it for me because of my past or because of this or because of that. And God's like, no, that's taken care of. I want to do it. The prayer, the servant prays and he throws out a test. He says, by this, I will know. Well, now we see now we see, guys, that uh, the, the servant's prayer is answered. Okay, look at verse 15. And it happened before he finished speaking. Don't you just love that? He hadn't even finished praying. And behold, Rebekah, 
who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with a pitcher on her shoulder. Oh, don't you just love that man? Hallelujah, that's so good. He hadn't even finished praying, and here comes Rebekah. And so this would make Rebekah, guys, Abraham's grandniece. That's who it'd be. But he doesn't, he's been gone a long time. So, I mean, this is, this is, that's, 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 that's what's going on. And the Bible says in verse 16, and the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, and no man had known her. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to offer some encouragement and application to our single sisters here. Okay? You go, what's that? The Hebrew word for virgin right here is the word betula. And it comes from the word, the root word batal, which means to separate one's self in modesty and be marriageable. You go, what does that mean? Listen, to my single sisters here, I think this was so amazing. Be separate from others. Be separate. You don't have to look like the world. Dress modest. That doesn't mean you have to wear a gunny sack. But, but the thing about it is this is what it says. It says, listen, be separate. That's the word. Dress modest. But here's what I would say. Clothe yourself in Jesus. And I'll tell you why. Listen to me. Because those are the things your Isaac is really looking for. If he's not looking for those things, then he's really not your Isaac. That's the thing about it, guys. And I'll tell you why. Because beauty fades. Outer beauty fades. And if a guy's like, man, I'm just into you because you're just like, you know, you're just beautiful and, and he sings all these songs and I just want to marry you and blah, 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 blah. But eventually what will happen is beauty fades. But the beauty of Christ inside is what keeps people in love. The beauty. When you see Jesus inside your wife, yeah, that's, 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 man, you're gorgeous. I mean, you're gorgeous too. Why? Because Abraham was like, baby, you, you just still gorgeous. But I believe she was clothed in Christ inside and out. And to the eye of the beholder is what, is what it comes down to, isn't it? Wow. She's, she's 127, wrinkly and old. And Abraham's still going, dum, 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 dum. Man, you're a knockout, baby. Wow. Why? Because he's in love with who, with who she is inside. I just, oh, that's so, that's so. Rebecca's also an amazing servant. Look what it says in verse 16. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, came up. Okay, so that's what he's doing. And the servant ran to meet her. He's in, this is my prayer. And he said, please give me a drink and a little water from your pitcher. Right? So she said, drink, my Lord. So not only is she a servant in talk, but notice her talk matches her walk. How so? She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her pitcher and handed him, right, down her hand and gave him a drink. But verse 19 says, and when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Here's what we need to do, guys. As servants of Jesus Christ, make sure that our walk matches our talk. Don't just say we're servants. Be a servant. 
She could have just said, well, yeah, here's a drink, amen. But she goes, no, let me do that. And you go, what does this mean? Guys, think about it. There's 10 camels. She had to keep going to the well, filling up the thing, going to the well, filling up the thing. I mean, and this was, this was, this was a, a woman in motion, right? And the Bible says she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back down to the well, got the well water, and drew it back for the camels. Okay, this wasn't a small task. She didn't turn on a hose. Okay, here you go. It was work. And I just love the fact, guys, that, that, I love the fact that, 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 that Rebecca was a servant and that her heart was, look, I, I, I care about you. I don't care about how many trips it's going to take me. She didn't count, God, oh, you know, let's see, how many trips? Let's see, that's going to be at least 45 trips to the well, and I don't even know this guy. And She goes, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. Verse 21 says, the man, wond- the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know if the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And so it was, and so it was, when the camels had finished drinking, that the man took a golden nose ring, weighing half a shekel, two bracelets from her wrists, weighing 10 shekels of gold. Now, you guys, did you catch that? You go, what? What did he do? He gave her gifts. He gave her gifts. He looked at her and went, and he gave her gifts. And you go, okay, what's the point? Well, if the servant is a type of Holy Spirit, we learned that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 11, that the Holy Spirit also gives us gifts. It says this as Paul is writing. He says, a spiritual gift is given to each one so that we can help each other. Do you guys realize that? As believers, he's given all of us a gift. To one person, he gives the gift. The Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another and to someone else. The Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, the other the ability to prophesy. He gives some else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still, the person has been given the ability to speak in unknown languages, that's tongues, while yet he's given the ability to interpret what's being said. That's the gift of interpretation. It is one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So the servant gives Rebecca gifts. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts. I think it's a beautiful picture you see here. Now, we got to stop. Not going to make it. Not going to make it. But here's my thought. What gifts do you have? What gifts do you have? And are you using your gifts for the Lord? You see, because what we've learned so far, guys, in our time together, is that the Old Testament, even in the first 22 verses, has just been pointing to you and I as the bride of Christ. As the Holy Spirit left heaven and said, man, I'm going to to go find a bride for for Jesus, and then we are known as the bride of Christ. We're known. And in the Hebrew culture, you guys know this, right? The worship team can kind of come back up as they get ready to close, but, but think about this. In the Hebrew culture, 
we know that this is what happens. What happens in a wedding is that the first thing happens is they're betrothed. I don't know if you know this, but as believers, as the bride of Christ, you're engaged. You're betrothed to Jesus. Okay? What happens is once you're betrothed, the groom goes back home and he builds a house onto his father's house. That's what he's going to do. He goes, oh, found the one. I found the one. Now, it could take him a year. It could take him longer, just depending. But what he'll do is he'll go and he'll build another house on to where the parents' house lives. Okay? And what will happen is he, he builds it there and he gets it all set up and he furnishes it. And then when it's done, dad comes in and goes, okay, looks good. And what does he say? Go get your bride. And so what he does is he gets his, he gets his men and he goes walking through the, sea, the streets and she, if she's betrothed, she has not cheated on him. That's where idolatry comes in. Make sure we're not cheating on God. And he says, and he says, I'm going to go get my bride. And he goes through the streets. And what she is, is she's ready. She's a bride ready to go home. She's looking. And then he gets her and he says, okay. It's ready. And so they go back. He takes her. They have the wedding ceremony. And he takes her into the bridal chamber. Any idea how long he stays in the bridal chamber with his wife? Seven days. Everybody else is partying outside. They're having a great time. He's inside the bridal chamber. You go, what does that mean? What does that mean? Then they come out after seven days and they're married. It's It's the most amazing thing. In the same way, this is what God's going to do, okay? This is what God's going to do. Jesus said, okay, I died for them. Now I have, now I have the bride. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to prepare a mansion for you. I'm going to go and prepare a room in my father's house. But in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't tell you, okay? And now you and I, we're just waiting. But see, we got we to gotta make sure that we're pure. We got to make sure that we're ready. Because at any moment, the father could say, done. Go get your bride. And when he comes down from heaven, he gets his bride. Guess what he's going to do? Boom. We're going to be taken up in the rapture. And we're going to be married to Jesus, the church, the bride of Christ. How long are we going to be in heaven? Seven years at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Seven years we're going to just be with him. What's going down here, you don't want to be here. It's the tribulation, the great tribulation. You don't want to be here. But we're up there. We're having a great time. We're having a great time. And that's really what's going on, guys. The Holy Spirit. Now, next week, we'll finish up, and we'll talk about Laban, and we'll talk about his greediness, and we'll talk about the servant, and we'll finish up. Father, we thank you for your word tonight and the truth in your word. We thank you for your great love. Lord, may we take this moment just to worship you. As we finish tonight's Bible study, God, I fully intended to go to 67 verses. But Lord, you, you, you direct us. That's okay. That's cool. We'll finish next week. It's still your word. Bless the time, God, that we had together. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. 
If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.